Good morning, happy Easter, and welcome to Central Online. My name is Nick, and this is my friend Joel. Hi everyone. Whether this is your home church or you're just checking us out for the first time, we're so glad that you're spending part of your Easter with us. We really are, and we know a lot of you are probably on spring break, and yeah, here in Holland we're a little bit jealous. So wherever you're watching from, why don't you say hi and let us know where you're watching from in our chat right over here. Our hosts would love to talk and pray with you this morning. If you didn't know, here at Central Online, we are a part of the Water's Edge Network, which is a family of churches, and our mission is to amplify the hope and the life of Jesus. And we do that by being with God, in community, and on mission. One really awesome event we have coming up is our Water's Edge Worship Night, which is on April 29th at 6 p.m. It's going to be an awesome night of music and celebration, and we will have Central Online available for this event. So we hope you can join us remotely if you can't be here in person. Now, if at any point during this morning you need prayer or just want to talk about starting a relationship with Jesus, you can choose the live prayer option on the bottom of your screen. Yeah, and what that will do is start a private chat with one of our real-life hosts. And if you need prayer after the service is over today, you can always head to our prayer wall at centralwesleyan.org slash prayer wall, and there you can ask and pray with others. Now it's time to start celebrating because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter, everyone. Listen, happy Easter. Extra, extra, read all about it. Special edition, story of a lifetime. The grave of the slain galleon men has been robbed. Authorities are baffled. The governor's soldiers found lying unconscious outside the grave, sources say. The body is nowhere to be found. Eyewitnesses report seeing the Galilean alive. In related news, death has been arrested. The grave has been denied. The greatest upset in history. Death has been defeated for all time. Sources confirm that an unexplainable force removed the heavy stone sealing the tomb. There's only one explanation for these strange events this past weekend. Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ has risen, risen from, from the, the dead. dead. Let's stand up and celebrate the risen king. He's alive forever. Let's sing together. To Christ the Lord is risen today.
Yeah. 
the chains we once wore are broken. I'm so thankful that the resurrection is not something so disconnected from us. It's alive in us today. It's breaking our chains, setting us free. Let's declare that. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Dash was redeemed Only beauty remains And my orphan heart was given a My morning Quiet, my feet rose to taste. When death was arrested, my life began. 
we thank you today that you have risen from the dead we thank you Jesus that you have broken the chains that abound us 
We thank you for the cross where all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our death was born. And we thank you for the empty tomb where death was defeated for all of time. Jesus, you are glorified. You are lifted up. You are seated on high, Jesus. And we honor you today. And I just pray, I ask you today that the truth and reality of the resurrection, of your resurrection would explode in our hearts. That we would look into the empty tomb and we would believe. And may you receive all glory and honor and praise today, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. Why don't you get around and greet a few people this morning. Say, he is risen. today. My wife was, uh, was on the way to Florida. She gets to, on the Alabama-Florida border, pulls into a Cracker Barrel. Yeah, we picked up that tradition in a decade. Um, when you travel, you go to Cracker Barrel. And lo and behold, there was an army of central people in there who wanted me to say hi, and it's a lot warmer there than it is here. Although, judging by the temperature of the worship in here, I would dare to disagree. Uh, somebody... <clears throat> Somebody came to me this morning and said, it's obviously a special day. And I said, why? They said, you're all dressed up. Um, they're, they're probably right. But you know, it is a special day, not just because it's Easter Sunday, but because something happens today that for a lot of us has never happened in our lifetime. In fact, since the year 1700, it's only happened 11 times. And the last time this happened was 62 years ago. Hands up if you're under 62. So today is a unique day for all of us, okay? Because for the first time since 1956, Easter Sunday falls on April Fool's Day. Now, we get a little bit of flack for calling the service Easter Fools, but look, guys, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. <laughs> once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to connect what the Bible says about the seeming foolishness of the cross and the power of the resurrection to what we're experiencing today. See, the resurrection speaks to us today. Now, the funny thing with this weird little holiday of April Fool's Day is it's a holiday that really nobody celebrates, but everybody participates in. We don't get kind of days off work for it, but we participate in it. That popular one that I was introduced to years ago was the whole caramelized onion thing. Have you ever done that one? You take an onion, you caramelize it, you put a stick through it, you know, you take it to your colleagues and say, just wanted to bless you today, and of course they take a bite and it's an onion. But the best one I was ever a part of was a friend of mine, uh, Heather, called me and she said, hey, would you do me a favor? There's a lady in the office where I work, she was a civil servant, who applied for this kind of, entered this competition to win a car, and I think it was like half a million pounds or whatever it was, and uh, she doesn't know any of us know, but we do, so could you do me a favor and just call her on April Fool's Day, right, and just tell her she's won? I said, sure, I'll do that. So I kind of put on all my best voice, and, and I kind of called her, and I said, uh, my name is, can't remember the name I made up, and I'm just uh, letting you know that you've actually won the car in the half a million. 
She was like, are you serious? And I'm like, seriously, you entered this competition? She was like, yes, I did. Well, I'm here to tell you, you've won. Well, she went ballistic in the office, completely dancing around everywhere. And she comes back to the phone and I said, April Fool. And her response was blankety, blankety, blank, blank, blank. <laughs> Fill those in. And then the phone went beep. I don't think she took it too well. She didn't like being made a fool of. And of course, the thing with April Fool's Day is you can get away with it because everybody knows the fact, right? Everybody knows the fact it's April 1st. You, you get away with that kind of stuff on April 1st. See, the, the kind of fool game only works when there's a fact that everybody knows. And when you look at the Easter story, there is a surprising fact called Jesus died. Everybody knows it. And yet, the resurrection makes everybody involved in this story look like, look like Easter fools. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, think about the April fools in the Easter story. The biggest fools of the law, it would seem to be, are the disciples. The ladies usually get spiritual things quicker than us guys, right ladies? And they went to the tomb, Luke 24 tells us, they went to the tomb early in the morning, expecting to see the stone kind of still there, and lo and behold, the stone is rolled away, and messengers come to them and say, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is not here, he is alive. And they run back to the disciples in that upper room, and they tell them. Well, there's kind of two problems with this. The first is that they were women. Nobody believed, unfortunately, back then, the testimony of a woman. Again, if God was making this thing up, if we were making this thing up, you wouldn't do this through the testimony of a woman, and especially a group of women. Now, the disciples knew better, didn't they? They knew these women. They'd ministered with these women. They were reputable people, and so they told them the story. And this is their response in Luke 24, 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Foolishness. They were clearly deluded. Why did the disciples think that? Because the fact is he was dead. And they were disappointed. See, these guys had, had left everything to follow Jesus. Oh, they'd seen some things that were pretty remarkable, pretty miraculous. In fact, things that they couldn't explain back then, and they couldn't even explain today. But when they went into Jerusalem, and the cheering of the crowds turned to those mocking him, and beating him, and driving the nails through his hands, they gave up. The Bible says a number of them went back to their old professions. They, they went back to different things, and good news is, that was Friday. <laughs> you see, on Friday, he was crucified as a criminal and a thief. But on Sunday, he was alive. And he comes into the room later in, Acts, in Luke 24, and he says, behold, I'm alive, April fools. Because everybody knew he was dead. It wasn't what they expected. See, the Easter story makes fools out of people who know how life works and yet are confronted with the Jesus who died and is now alive. Think about Thomas. Now, Thomas has a bit of a bad press as a doubter. In fact, in a lot of the early stories, he's actually the one who has the courage to, to vocalize what everybody else is thinking. Have you got friends like that? Certain circumstances, you just wish they stay quiet? Thomas is that guy. 
In the Gospel of John, Jesus is ministering in a place when he receives news that his friend Lazarus is dead or is, is sick. And uh, Jesus wants to go and visit Lazarus, but he does a little bit more ministry. And they're like, quick, he's really sick. You've got to go. It's fine. It's fine. Well, when his ministry's done, Jesus decides he's going to take a shortcut. And he's going to take a shortcut through a part of the country that was really dangerous and nearly caused him to die earlier on. And the disciples are having this conversation with one another. They're saying basically, um, hey, do we go with him or not? Does he know what he's doing? And it's Thomas who steps up and says, look, guys, I don't know about you. But I'm going to follow this guy even if it means I have to die with him. He vocalized what everybody else was thinking, but nobody had the courage to do. He was the kind of leader in those moments. John chapter 14. This is where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death. And he tells them, listen, guys, in a, few, in a little while, I'm going away from you, from you, but it's really important I go from you because if I go from you, I'm actually going to prepare a place for you so that you can come and be with me where I am. Who's the one who had the courage here to kind of speak out and say, uh, where are you going, Jesus? Thomas. And then something happened. Good Friday happened. And Thomas saw the nails being driven through Jesus' hands. He saw a spear pierce his side where the text tells us blood and, and water run out, which medically means he's dead. And it destroyed everything. And then lo and behold, that was Friday. <laughs> but on Sunday, he entered that room. Hey, Thomas, I was dead. On Friday, I was a thief, but today I am king. April fools. But probably the greatest fool in the entire story, if you think about it, is Jesus himself. See, the Bible says that in this week leading up to his death, he was actually laughed at and mocked. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus kind of provoked People. He went around in his ministry provoking the very people who had the ability and the power to put him to death. And guess what? They did. They did. And perhaps the greatest joke of them all, the greatest jest of them all, was the one that was not just played on the religious leaders, but on the enemy, the adversary, and on death itself. That's what that song says. Death was arrested and life began. It's as if Jesus comes not just to his disciples, but to the entire world, to the universe, to the enemy, death itself, and says, April fool, I'm alive. Think about these stories in the context of some scriptures. Death couldn't hold him. The grave could not contain him. And so on Easter Fool's Day, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 1.20, God made foolish the wisdom of the world. You see, Jesus was God's fool, a stumbling block to the Jews, Paul says, and foolishness to the Greeks, whereby God was restoring the world to himself, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23. But you know, that was yesterday. Yesterday, Jesus was a criminal, but today he is king, Jesus is alive. And so the text says, he who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, that was pretty foolish, it seemed, 
But that was not the end of the story. God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the greatest fool in the Easter story, the jester is Jesus himself who even out-tricked death. On Friday, he was a criminal. But today... He is king. He's alive. What does all this mean? We're going to unpack this through the rest of the service, but what it basically means is perhaps the the greatest fools in the world today are actually the ones who dare to believe the story. You know, the Bible says that God takes the, the foolish things, the things that are not, the people that don't think they're much, And he delights in placing this truth and this reality in their heart so that they can confound even the wisdom of the wise. Maybe the biggest fools in the world's eyes are the ones who believe a story like this. But we do. And you know why? Because on Friday he was dead. But on Sunday he's alive. And we know because he has poured his spirit into our hearts. And death itself has been defeated. What we want you to do, yeah, something to celebrate. What we want you to do is we, we want you to, uh, we want to remind you of this truth to a song that's going to be sung. The lyrics are strong and they're powerful. And in this moment, those of you who have become foolish in the world's eyes to become wise in God's eyes, we want you to listen to this song and in your heart, open yourself up for what God wants to do in your life. For those of you who are here and and you're really wrestling with this, we want you to look at the lyrics and engage with the story and ask yourself, what if this were true? What if the foolish thing to believe is to actually believe that the minute I take my last breath, that's it? What if there is something more? And what if death could be arrested in your life? Now, how we're going to do this is I'm going to invite the ushers to come down, and they're going to give us the wonderful privilege of giving back his tithes and our offerings. If you're a guest of ours today, please feel under absolutely no obligation to give whatsoever. We're just glad you worshiped with us. But for those of us who have experienced that life-changing power of Jesus, the Bible says that giving back is an act of worship. So as the team lead us in this song, look at the lyrics and worship and respond in your heart as we give his tithes and our offerings. Disfigured and 
understand On Friday a thief On Sunday a king Lay down in grief But I walk with the kings Of hell on that day First born of the same The man Jesus Christ lay
The beauty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that it does, in fact, lay death in its grave. And it caused me to think about this, this premise that if death cannot hold him, it cannot touch the ones he holds. And that's you and I. That's the beauty, that's the power, that's the encouragement that we have in the resurrection. The resurrection is this, is this line, this defining event in human history that says everything after it is now different. The story is told of a small European village that every, every few years had a majestic passion play where they would tell the story of Jesus Christ, crucifixion and resurrection. The whole town would turn out to participate in it. It required a cast of hundreds, and people would travel from all over the region to watch it in the days leading up to Easter. And this story says that one of the people that they surprisingly chose to play Christ this particular year was somebody who was new to their faith. They didn't have like an understanding of all the rules and the regulations. They didn't have a kind of a clear picture of everything that Jesus was and Jesus taught. But they thought that he looked the part and they would let him play it. And in one rehearsal, they're doing the scene where Jesus is carrying the cross down the crowded streets of Jerusalem as the crowd mocks and jeers and spits on him. And in one moment, one of the actors in the crowd got particularly animated and, and started just screaming in the face of the guy who was playing Jesus. He got agitated, stood up, and punched the crowd member in the face. At this point, the director says, cut, time out. Uh, Jesus does not hit anybody. Uh, let's just kind of, can everybody make a note of that? Let's run it back and start it again. So sure enough, they reset the scene. The crowd begins to jeer. Jesus walks down the street carrying the cross. The one man in the crowd who had antagonized Jesus is now emboldened by the fact that this actor cannot do anything to respond to him and turns it up a couple notches. And as Jesus falls to the ground with his cross, he catches this man's eye and whispers under his breath, I'll see you after the resurrection. There's this sense that after the resurrection, something is in fact coming. And many of us, the lies that we have believed, the kind of the fake spiritual news that we have bought into, are things that tell us this. There is no redemption for your past. There's no outrunning the ghosts of shame that haunt you. Another lie says, there's no, there's no overcoming your weakness. All the problems that you've struggled with un, up to this point in your life, that, that's just going to be your lot in this life. That's going to be your cross to bear. It'll never change. Another, another lie that we get tempted to believe is there, there is no hope. There's no world beyond the one that we can see. There's no redeeming. There's no restoration. There's no, there's no beauty that gets pulled out of those ashes. And the resurrection of Jesus says, every single one of those is wrong. Don't believe it. It's fake news. And the story of Jesus Christ tells us that because the tomb is still empty, there is still mercy for our yesterdays. There's still power for our today. And there's still hope for our tomorrow. Because the cross is still empty, there's hope for our yesterdays. A couple days ago, it was Good Friday. Uh, my nine-year-old son and seven-year-old daughter were discussing why, in fact, Jesus had to die. And the conversation that I overheard was this. Is, um, my son said to my daughter, what happens if somebody does something really bad? And she said, well, they go to jail. And he goes, what happens if they do something really, really, really bad? And the answer was, well, they have to die. And for those of us who understand the story of the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus went willingly and embraced a death that he did not deserve so that you and I could be forgiven of the wrong things that we have done. And the scriptures tell us this, that when, when Jesus finally appeared to his friends, this is what happened. It said, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, anybody who had grown up in the Jewish tradition knew that this moment was laced with significance. Because when God created the first human, it said that he shaped him out of the dust of the earth. But that was just a, a lifeless shape until God did what? Until God breathed into his nostrils and Adam sparked to physical and spiritual life. So when Jesus breathes on his disciples, he's taking people who have been lost in this haze of shame and guilt and regret. People who are haunted by their rebellion against their friend. Jesus gives them a gift. And he slices through all of that guilt and restores them into right relationship with himself. He gives them life again. One of my friends said this. He goes, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And when Jesus breathes life on those of us who acknowledge our need for him, we're sparked to life again. Now, it's interesting that the resurrected Jesus chose to keep his scars. Chose to keep his scars. Now, if he's God and he could have kind of chosen any resurrection body that he wanted, why, why would he have opted to keep these holes? Maybe it was because he wanted to remind his disciples that his death was real. It wasn't something that they imagined. His death was brutal. It, it caused great pain and drew blood. And then finally, his death was necessary. It was their crimes against God and one another and our crimes against God and one another that required the very death of Jesus Christ. Every scar has a story. My guess, if I were to ask you, you'd probably have some scars. I've got one here that I had got from a run-in with a piano when I was three, and one over here that I got from a punch in a basketball game when I was 13. I didn't start it. It wasn't my fault. Um, I, I got one back here from when I got hit by a car when I was in high school, and I got a couple here from a surgery that I had on my lung when I was 32. All of us have scars, and our scars remind us of what? They remind us of a moment of pain. They remind us of a time when we were bleeding. And the scars have a story that say it was really bad. And there was discomfort and there was terror and there was frustration. But God in his mercy healed that. And my hope for us is that when we look at our scars, we are not haunted by guilt. When we see our scars, we are reminded of the joy that comes with receiving the mercy that is guaranteed us by an empty tomb. The good news of the resurrection is that there's still mercy for anything that's happened in our past. And there's still power for our present. Somebody once said, mercy is not getting what we do deserve. If you were to use a financial analogy, mercy would be getting us out of the red and into zero. Grace, however, gives us a gift that we don't deserve. Grace gets us into the black. It gets us into spiritual profitability. Grace gives us the ability to make the kind of choices we never would have been able to make on our own. And some of us, if we're honest... We struggle with the weaknesses that we bring into all of the challenges of our daily life. And we say, I, I believe that I've been forgiven. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But for, for some reason, I fail to tap into the, the raw power of it. Because I make decisions every day because of my pride or because of my fear or because of my anxiety or because of my insecurity. They keep pulling me back into a place that I don't want to be. It's like I'm stuck in this, this loop, this hamster wheel that I can't seem to break out of. 
And I believe that the empty tomb gives us the power to make different kinds of choices than we were when we were on our own. Listen to this quote by Portia Nelson. She says this, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It's not my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes me a long time to get out. I walk down the same street. There's a, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. I walk down another street. Some of us are stuck in the bottom of holes that we fall into over and over and over again, and we feel like the fool. And there's some of us who say, in this point in my life, in this point in my spiritual journey, in this point in my relational maturity, I should know better, but I can't stop. I keep falling in the same hole over and over and over again. And I believe that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the power that we receive when he breathes on us, is the power to choose a different street when we're tempted like we were before. The book of Corinthians says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The truth is many of us are battling death in a lot of different forms every day. And the empty tomb means that we have the power in the name of Jesus to say yes to his invitation and no to everything else. The empty tomb means there's still mercy for my yesterdays, there's still power for my day today, and there's still hope for my tomorrow. About 15 years ago, I had the opportunity to visit London with my parents. We were going through all the list of tourist attractions, and we went to St. Paul's Cathedral. And as I was there, I was looking at the different crypts where people were buried and the inscriptions on the stones that covered their graves. There was one that jumped out at me, somebody whose name I didn't recognize. His name was Sir Henry Bartle Edward Freer. His dates were 1815 to 1884. And usually that's where the information stops. It's somebody's name, the dates of their existence, maybe some comments about what they did or some great contribution that they made to society. That's not what his said. The inscription on his tomb was one that I've never seen before, one that I haven't seen since. Rather than Henry's life ending with a period, his tombstone had a comma on it. It said this, Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Henry knew that even as his body was laid into the ground, that was not the end of his existence. Why? Because the tomb was still empty. And there was hope for him, not just in this life, but in the next as well. This last week we lost a dear friend here at Central. His name was Ed Habor. He'd been struggling with cancer for, for quite a while. And he was part of a real faithful group of people who pray at 8.30 before our services. And it was just on the other side of that wall a few months ago when some friends were asking Ed for an update about his condition. And he said, the doctors say that they've done everything they can do. They've exhausted their options. And somebody said, well, Ed, what, what are you going to do? And he goes, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. It's terminal. And while there was resolve in his voice, there was an acceptance of the finality of it all. There was also this glimmer of hope. 
It was very matter of fact. He goes, I'm, I'm looking death in the eye, and while it saddens me to say goodbye to the people that I love, while it's frustrating to struggle with the realities of the disease, I'm not afraid. Because I know that the death that is about to claim me still takes a back seat to the victory of the cross of Jesus Christ. And because that's real, I don't have to be afraid. And Ed gave me this brilliant, inspiring example of a gritty hope that stares death itself down and says, you don't have any power over me because the tomb remains empty. This is the power. This is the hope. This is the beauty that we have in the cross of Jesus Christ. And the question I want to ask you today is, where, where is death haunting you? Maybe not the actual fear of physical death. Although that's a reality for some of us. Maybe for you, the death comes in a form of, of an addiction, a habit that you can't wrestle down. Maybe death is coming for you. Maybe the thing that is stealing your joy are these flashbacks from your past that you cannot seem to outrun. Maybe that death is being manifested in the form of a crippling anxiety that, that bars you from the hope that the resurrection promises, that, that blinds you to the peace that Jesus Christ wants to exhale on you in every moment of every day. Here's what I want to ask you to do. In your program, you got an insert that says, My Resurrection Story. And I'd love for you to, to grab a pen. There should be some in the pews in front of you. And I would love for you to write a phrase or a word or a sentence that says, Because he is risen, I, I what? Because he is risen, I can hope again. Because he is risen, I can forgive myself. Because he is risen, I can forgive someone else. Because he is risen, I can humble myself and reach out for hope. Some of us who are trapped in these destructive, self-harming loops, we say, because he is risen, I don't, I don't have to be afraid of what I struggle with anymore. I can come out of the darkness into the light. I can show up to a program on Monday night like Celebrate Recovery here at Central and say, I need somebody to help me walk humbly in a disciplined manner, in the power of the resurrection. I, I don't know what you need to write on yours, but I, I've, already, I've already written mine. And we're going to hear this song, and you're going to hear this refrain over and over again. I believe, I believe, I believe. And I would love for you to be able to say, Lord, because I believe, I'm going to thank you for what you have done, and I'm going to believe you for what you have yet to do. But let's just take this moment to reflect and respond to whatever it is that God is prompting us to say back to him in this moment.
Reaching out to make me whole, reaching out to make me whole. 
Easter, people all around the world in many different languages are lifting up that same voice, that same sentiment. Jesus, because you have defeated death, my confidence is in you for every season of my life, for every challenge in my life, for every demon from my past, for every fear of my future is covered in the resurrecting power of Jesus Christ. And maybe some of you, you're hearing this news for the very first time. And if that's you, you maybe you walked into this room, you weren't fully realizing that you and I are both guilty of crimes that required the death of somebody. And because Christ in his mercy said it didn't have to be us, he stood in our stead. And because Jesus Christ was crucified to satisfy God's justice for what you and I had done, there's mercy for us. And there's power to stare down temptation today and wrestle down all of our fears in the days to come. And if you are ready today for the first time in your life to say, yeah, I believe that. I want, I want to receive that mercy for my, my life. I want to claim that power for my life. I want to receive this Holy Spirit peace that Jesus is breathe, offering to breathe into me right now. I want that to be true. And if that's you, I would love for you to just add two words to the top of your story, and that's this, right? New addition. Right? New addition. Why? Because the scriptures say, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. And from this day forward, you have a new story to tell. And for any of us who participate in this exercise, I want, to, I want to give you an invitation. I want to invite you, just as an act of public faith and celebration and confidence in the empty tomb, I would love for you to take your resurrection story and come up right here on the stage. You can come up on either side and grab a clothespin out of one of these baskets. And I want you to join me in taking your resurrection story and clipping it on one of these lines. There's already a lot of stories on there. Don't worry. You can find a space between them or you can either clip to a story that's already existing. Let's go ahead and let's fill these walls with our resurrection story. Say, God, I thank you for what your resurrection power has done, and I'm declaring my confidence in your ability to do something new, something great, something powerful, again, in me, through me, and around me. So let's respond with this visual declaration of our praise and hope in Jesus Christ. Come with me. As we stand, as we sing this next song, why don't you stand with us? And feel free to just continue to respond throughout this song as we celebrate the, continue to celebrate the resurrection. with glory now the Savior knelt to wash our feet now at his feet we bow oh, 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 oh. the one who wore our 